Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, and we're delighted to have her on board. Tamika's an associate medical director at WellMed. She oversees large clinics in the OptumCare North Texas region in the Southern sector. Dr. Perry earned her undergraduate degree from Prairie View A&M University, went on to graduate from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, where she was National Health Service Corps Scholar. Next, she completed her family medicine residency at Methodist Charlton Medical Center, where she served as chief resident. Dr. Perry is board certified by the American Osteopathic Board of Family Physicians, subsequently earned a master's in public health with an emphasis on health management and policy at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. In addition, Dr. Perry is a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine, which is a perfect fit for today's topic. (laughs) Dr. Perry, welcome on board. Thank you. Well, Tamika, it's great to talk with you, and we're going to welcome Brian Roy, he is a nurse practitioner, WellMed with Dr. Phillips in Orlando. Roy earned his Master of Science in Nursing from the University of Central Florida down in Orlando. His interest in nursing came from community support and a family working in nursing, healthcare administration, and laboratory work. Today, he enjoys caring for the continuum of the person and family units through family medicine. In his spare time, when he's not hanging out at the clinic, He enjoys exploring the wilderness in Florida, along the shore and elsewhere. And he has told me off the air, he has come into contact on many occasions with an alligator or two. Brian Roy, welcome. Happy to have you on Docs in a Pod. Pleasure to be introduced all. So how up close and personal were you and the alligators? I've had them on the end of fishing rods. I can't claim that they're a primary mode of transport in Florida, unfortunately. Uh, uh, there is a claim that we ride them, but I have to debunk that one. Um, and how so, dangerous are they? Uh, it depends on the season, but generally, if you treat them with respect, they won't come by you either. And the season would be when they're trying to make little baby alligators? You got it. And that's when you stay away from them. Yes, that's not the best time to do a kayaking trip down a nice small river where you don't have enough space to share. One of the things I know you wanted to talk about today is the uh, uh, issue of obesity. Uh, It's a problem that we see across the country. It's certainly uh, reportedly one of the leading causes of type 2 diabetes and other physical conditions. Also has a mental aspect to it. So, Brian, talk to us about the obesity epidemic. Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing when people start these kind of thoughts and context is actually the term. Um, the term obesity has such stigma with it. It's what our, how our clothes fit. It's how people perceive us. It's how we feel about ourselves. Um, in our own clinic, we've tried to actually move away from that language and we actually use just increased BMI. What is that? Body mass index. Uh, let's talk about maybe a healthier weight goal. Um, describing it on that term as if you would a blood pressure to help reduce the stigma around it because it does translate to so many disease states. 
Brian, you make a valid point about the term obesity. A lot, many a patient, you know, their BMI gets over 30, they're obese, over 35 with comorbid conditions, you're obese, and they'll see it on their chart. And they're like, why did you call me obese? I'm not obese. And I always, you know, try to try to bring it down to a real state. Now tell the patients, well, look at me because after I eat lunch today, technically my BMI is going to be obese. So <laughs> you don't have to, you know, look, look like you're a candidate on a TV show for surgery to be medically obese. Absolutely. And then we also have things that are outside of our control and that patient experience is so important. So when I put something in an electronic medical record, there's sometimes we can't even control that. Mm -hmm. I have to say somebody's morbidly obese or medically obese. And I really am just trying to say, well, your BMI is over 30, 40, 35, or your waist circumference over 36 or 40. And to me, getting to the tactician level of like, this is your number. And this is where we want our number to go. Just like we try to treat with blood pressure, it makes it a much more approachable conversation for people. Um, and I know, Brian, one of the challenges, of course, is uh, the argument you didn't put the weight on overnight. You're not going to take it off overnight. But how do you work with patients who may have a very high body mass index, who are morbidly obese by definition? How do you get them to begin to slim down? Absolutely. And so the first thing that happens is people go on uh, online to find this information and they come to you empowered with all the things that they found out there. And that is where it's concerted that they've gone online. They've got the online catalog that gave them the herbal or pill that was supposed to help them do things, the caffeine derivative that was supposed to help them shed that weight, the stimulant. Um, they want the medication to help. But in, when they maybe in the regions they grew up, for example, they come up with things that might translate to sugars. And so I think in parallel, a lot of what we deal with um, in it is an unawareness of what we put into our body as far as nutrition, because in today's day and age, we are all busy. We have the disease of being burdened with the disease of busy. So when we're so busy, what do we do? Whatever is available, what do we have time to do? What can we financially afford to do? Is it canned, frozen, fast food, indifferent or otherwise? And do we really know what gets put into our body And do we have the time to truly evaluate it? So a lot of these preliminary conversations that you start is, is just understanding where do you sit and live? What is your work schedule? Where are you going and um, where do you have access? Are you inner city? Do you have access to a supermarket? Do you have, do you have, do you rely because you're a truck driver on the road? What is your source of truth when it comes to starting? What can you expend as energy and what can you put in? to help fuel that need. And now hold that thought just a minute. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. We're talking down in Orlando, Florida with Brian Roy. He is a nurse practitioner, works at the WellMed Clinic with Dr. Phillips. And we're talking about the obesity epidemic. And you just pointed out something really important, Brian, which is where do you access food, number one? And I think number two, Uh, and the FDA is trying to do something about this, folks don't really understand labels and how they can help you eat the right or perhaps inappropriate foods. So how do you help people with those? Absolutely. And so tangible resources becomes number one. How do we simplify understanding? So with ingredient lists, I spend a lot of time just directing to one specific area. If you pick up a box, right, let's talk cereal. People are like, I had my cereal for breakfast. And I said, can we look at one area of that ingredient list and look at sugar? How much sugar are you getting a day? 
because if you had your coffee with sugar in it, then you had your Cheerios that translate to five or eight grams of sugar. Then you have your sandwich for the day. And then you have any type of dessert because you worked hard that day. And maybe it was a small, dark piece of chocolate, which is great, but that adds a little bit of sugar too. How does that add up? And there's a term where I start with this counseling where it's like, what is free sugars in our diet currently? And how does that get used by the body? And it's not always easy to calculate. And so um, measuring cups, for example, is the best way to do it. Because if I have one cup of something cooked, let's say rice, mashed potatoes, pasta, we'll say that's roughly 10 grams of sugar. Easy to remember. And then now I set a goal of, well, if you're doing passive math and you're thinking about the day, let's put a cap on how much sugar you add from that toolbox of food energy. What if it was just 10 to 15 grams a day? How do you figure out that math and spend some time navigating where to look for that on an ingredient label or one cup cooked, 10 grams of sugar. And it tends to be very enlightening. Usually at follow-up, people start applying those tenants and they realize I had no idea I was having 125 grams of sugar in my daily diet and passively start making those behavior changes. And as a give back, I'm like, guess what? If you want to have some fruit and you don't have other disease burden, I'll make that a zero balance for you so that you can round out your meal and choices. Um, so, because I find that drives a lot of their success once they no, have it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Perry, you and I have talked about how mm-hmm. sugar really ought to be labeled as a poison. Absolutely. And, you know, I really like the way that Brian packages it up to his patients to present it to them. Um, you know, I always explain to the patients when they're reading a label, if you take the total carbohydrates per serving on the back of that label divided by four. That's approximately how many teaspoons of sugar or carbohydrates is in that, regardless if it's sweet or not. Because a lot of my patients are like, well, it's not sweet. Well, we're, we're talking about, like you said, a carbohydrate or a sugar burden. So it really gives people a realistic view of, well, how much am I really eating? Like the average can of soda has 10 teaspoons of sugar, certain certain flavored uh Fruit flavored sodas are a little sweeter. They may have 12 teaspoons, but you know, that's like putting 10 little packets of sugar on your tongue. You know, it's, it's almost the same thing. So when you when you 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 conceptualize this to the patient in a manner that Brian is talking about, then it gives the patient a more realistic view of how much am I consuming? And that sugar turns into something called glycogen storage that's right around that midsection that we store for later usage. Most of us don't use it later. It stores and stores and stores. You You're know? talking about that uh, great big belly that many of us have. Yeah, I didn't want to say it like that. But yes, since you said it, yes. <laughs> so think of it as a storage facility. Some of us have a, a grand storage facility, yes. Well, what about just getting lipos? Suck it all out. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, you know, liposuction is meant to contour when you're already of a normal or near normal weight. It, it is not meant for weight loss. It is not a medical treatment. I mean, Brian, when you agree, you don't regularly, do you regularly recommend liposuction for, you know, management of weight? Unfortunately, no. And being that we're in Florida and Miami Beach is a hotbed for uh, redesigned oh, yeah. body types, I, I can't say I advertise that at all. There's a cosmetic surgeon on every block, like a nail salon. There uh, is. Actually, the truth. So, Brian uh, Roy, as we take a look at uh, what you have, I think, correctly labeled the obesity epidemic, and as you go through reading labels, understanding uh, sugar, uh, what what is it you recommend with respect to carbohydrates as well? And so I do find that why we have 
embed people with that math. They're like, I don't have time to do math. So we do find that when you look at dietary strategies, um, understanding that serving size visually is often a gap. What's a baseball size for a cup? What is a fist for a serving size of a protein? And there's also a nice tip when it comes to hunger. And I think that's another big play because when we start talking portion sizes, people are like, I need more than that. I'm always hungry. And there's a ways that we can kind of hack our body a little bit in some ways to fuel our need because nobody is per se cookie cutter. Do you tolerate one meal a day, two meal a day, six meal a day? You want to capture that need to address that big point that drives our interest of food intake. And what is hunger? And so when we think about hunger, that's a lot of things that can be a emotional response, that can be a physical response, that can be a hormonal driven response, that can be a disease state response. Um, so when we think about hunger, it's all these different things. And but with that, there are little steps you may be able to take to try to get more control over that by breaking down where the source is. Um, protein is often heralded as the end all source, but how you use it matters. So for example, if you do a 30 gram load of protein, uh, we'll say that's the equivalent of um, a normal sized chicken breast and a half, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, if you have that in the morning, it should help you control hunger cues the rest of the day. But that's not our normal detail. We normally eat something else, toast, carbs, French toast, pancakes, uh, eggs, burritos, other details. Well, if you're working that element, if you change that mindset and said, I had two horrible eggs, and I did a quarter cup of peanuts, then I probably won't be hungry for most of the morning into the afternoon because that 30 grams triggers a hormone called ghrelin. And that helps mediate and control and manage those hunger cues and All often right, dehydration gonna, too. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. And I think the sad part is it's like the old Frito-Lay commercial. You can't stop at one. Who in the world can stop at a quarter cup of peanuts? I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Brian Roy, a nurse practitioner in Orlando, Florida, talking about obesity. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, with us as well. And she is indeed board certified in obesity medicine, uh, which is very, very interesting. You're listening to Docs in a Pie. Ladies, we get it. The thought of getting a mammogram can feel uncomfortable, but it's important to get this annual screening. Mammograms can detect potential problems that self-examinations might miss. WellMed wants to remind you that if you're a woman between the ages of 40 and 65, and it's been more than two years since your last appointment, let WellMed help you schedule your mammogram today by calling 1-855-296-3257 between 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. Central Time, 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern. We're so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Docs in a Pod. A fascinating topic. Fascinating because you cannot turn on the television or, or listen to radio without hearing a commercial for a lose weight product, a lose weight plan, low carb, low fat, you name it. Uh, marketers are out there peddling it because folks are interested and concerned about weight. I'm Ron Aaron. With us on our Docs in a Pod hotline down in Orlando, Florida is nurse practitioner Brian Roy. And we're talking as well with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. And as we talk about all of this, uh, Brian, there's no question, ad after ad after ad pushes low-fat, low-carb, low-sugar products on us. And uh, off the air, 
my wife, who's going to co-host the show from time to time, uh, Gina Galavis Eisenberg, asked, what about those so-called low-carb ice cream bars? Can I gobble them down? Absolutely. And so when we think about it, a lot of this that people don't want to hear is they hear in our clinic office that I try to avoid diet and exercise, right? Or if you put more in, if you take more out, it works, but timing matters, right? So if I, for example, spend an exercise really hard at night, uh, but I don't have energy to fuel it, then I might not feel energized, right? But that low carb bar tends to be higher fat, which is a denser calorie. So I get more calories. If I use that at the end earlier in the day and don't expend the energy, what does your body do? It stores it. Um, a lot of those products came out from those type of we'll call fad diets. Um, or And with that, all of them come with a good place that have had different people championing them. Low carb Dr. Atkins, other parties, ketogenic diets, these kind of things that are getting big traction because people are feeling results. Typically, if you look at them at 18 months, 24 months, or one to two years down the road, they get rebound because they aren't meeting the body's necessarily goal or need, which is the habit. Because once you um, move away to more traditional dietary elements, your body just rebuilds itself hormonally how it was right. expecting. And I, so, you know, you're right about that. I, I, I have friends who have been on a keto diet who did really, really well on the diet, uh, but I hadn't seen them in a while. And the last time I ran into one of them, they probably added 20 or 30 more pounds than they had when they were at their heaviest. Absolutely. Now, the good news is there's a source of truth between plant-based, paleo, Mediterranean, DASH, low-carb. The, the message is that you kind of synthesize them together. It's, are we getting any form of vegetable dynamics, whether it's canned or frozen or fresh? Do you get nuts, seeds, olives? Do you get healthy fats, avocados, uh, derivatives, avoiding sugars? Unfortunately, as much as I might like barbecue in the South, sausage and processed meats are not on that radar as a viable, great choice. Fish is a fantastic source. If, you, if you're vegetarian, lentils, beans, chickpeas, um, those things all are the synergy of where all those types of styles of eatings pull from. And so a lot of this becomes doing the pick list, because if you go outside of the common four things I've described here that each one services, they'll tell you to avoid stuff. Paleo, don't have dairy. Low carb, don't have carb. Mediterranean, moderate your dairy intake. It, it gets really confusing, but the bigger message is what can you do? Do you need to eat six times a day? Do you need to eat twice a day? And what do you like? And do what you like that is something sustainable. Sustainability is the number one failure yes. of why people rebound. And you you made a great point, Brian. And it's, it goes back to your story, Ron, about your friends who were on the particular fad diet and when you saw them again. So whatever you do, contingent that it's happy or healthy to get you to your ideal weight point, that's what you have to maintain forever and ever. Amen. You know, um, that's what you have to do. You, it's not like you do it for a certain period of time and you're like, my body's fixed now. I can go back to what I was doing before. No, it's going to go back to the way that it was before, if not with that 20 or 30 pounds added. And I think it's also important to, to, to for the listeners to know that it's not a personal failure if you start to gain weight or become obese because it's, it's multifactorial. There's genetics involved in it. There's culture involved in it. There's lifestyle involved in it. I mean, look around at your family. Are your mom and dad overweight? Are your brothers and sisters overweight? Is this a genetic factor for you? Is it a cultural factor for you? Did you grow up? Is, is your culture with foods that are high in fat, high in sugar? And not that there's anyone's fault, but it, obesity is definitely multifactorial. And so should the treatment approach be multifactorial. 
Well, growing up Jewish and, and Brian in Orlando, I'm sure you've seen this at a lot of the delis that are there, that are there. The food choices are all in the high carb, high fat category. I mean, there's nothing like uh, potato latkes smothered with cream cheese or sour cream. Nothing like brisket. You you name it. Uh, it, it all carries a fat load, does it not? It does. It, it absolutely does. And so that becomes then portion derivatives and is the portion that you pursue meet the need because there is a dynamic of calories. So the rule of thumb is about 3,500 calories is one pound, right? So people pull that back. And so if you think of a week, where could you find the three to 500 calories a day? Maybe it was something you do passively at night, alcohol, you know, playing a role, or maybe it's something more complex because for that, it's a higher fat solution. If you, for example, do a low carb ice cream in the evenings and that's 360 calories, well, you do 360 calories seven days a week. If you didn't manage what your body's demand was, you're going to gain a pound a week. And so that's where you, there is that element. And I find the bigger structure is the relationship with food and body's cues because dehydration, for example, can also cue a very similar symptom of I'm hungry. So we also tend to not hydrate. There's a lot of reasons for that, especially in our elders, because they may want to um, not have to run to the bathroom because they have other things going on. So they're dehydrated. They think they're hungry and they snack instead. And it's a vicious cycle because intake wise, a good rule of thumb across the spectrum of diseases, you know, 40, 50 ounces of fluids um, is there. And if a lot of people don't meet that. So Dr. Oh, Perry, many of us as parents, especially are our own worst enemies. I can remember growing up and all those kids in China, I was depriving of food. If I didn't complete my <laughs> plate and make it sparkling yeah. clean, yes. uh, the clean plate club uh, is something that we spent a lot of years emphasizing. And yet, it's probably okay not to finish everything. It is. but it, And there's a couple of things we need to realize, too. When we were children, and all of us on this call, we would clean our plate, but we would also play outside. Yes. We were physically active. We were in clubs. We were in sports. We, we, we Even me, as a Girl Scout, I walked door to door to sell the cookies. You know what I mean? So the physical activity level is grossly different now than it was back then. And even from a childhood to adulthood, your physical activity level is different. From college to your working life, your physical activity level is different. So in the evening, if you eat that 360 ice cream bar, gram ice cream bar, calorie ice cream bar, are you going to get on the treadmill for 30, 40 minutes to burn that 360 calories afterwards? Probably See, not. Right. So then you're at a net zero. Most people do not. It is much more efficient just not to eat the ice cream, you know? On is top there of a way, too, yeah, Brian, ahead. is there a way you can teach portions and portion control so folks understand what it's all about? You mentioned protein about a fist size. You mentioned uh, talking about uh, teaspoon equivalents. Uh, how, how do we learn that? Most of us need to relearn what we should be eating in, in terms of portions. Absolutely. And so if you think about what some of even the dietary plans out there do, they'll ship you just Tupperware. So they will just give you boxes that you put food into that's the right size. So those are the key things. Um, there's wonderful handouts out there from um, the CDC 
and other elements out there, which is just that. Is it in the fistful size? Is it a baseball size? What is so you can eyeball it? Um, I prefer to teach on when you're ladling things to use a half a cup or a full cup measuring cup to create that visual teaching point. Um, another thing too, bringing and piggybacking off of activity. I think all of us now living in an age of technology, when we think about ratio of activity, for every two hours or so that you're in a screen-based environment and sitting, are you getting anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes of activity equivalent after that at the end of the day or equivalent? That's a very good ratio to try to keep. And it's also very enlightening to how much inactivity you can have as it relates to expending energy. And it could be just doing a sitting standing desk. It could be doing resistance training in a chair. It doesn't have to be mobility. Um, I love that my Apple watch will flash stand up. It's time to stand up. Yeah. Yeah, you actually burn. I believe it's somewhere between fifty to seventy-five more calories just standing versus sitting in the context really? of an activity in an hour's time um, in a homework environment that a lot of us are exposed to now. Now, are there foods, Dr. Perry, uh, that you know we crave that we probably should try to eliminate from our diet, or or are you in the category of uh, you need not throw it out because you eventually move back to it? So learn to eat in moderation. Now, certain foods do cause us to crave more. You know, during Thanksgiving, everyone thinks it's the, uh, you know, the turkey that makes you go to sleep and wake up and then want more food. And actually, it's those carbohydrates. It's that cornbread dressing. It's that sweet potato pie. You know, it's that mac and cheese. So like Brian was talking about earlier, mitigating your carbs and eating a certain amount of protein, approximately 100 grams of protein a day, like he said earlier, is going to make your life, it's going to make your fat burning and your energy so much more efficient and help you control your weight and your appetite so much better than before. And even beyond that, if you still have trouble maintaining your diet, you still have trouble losing weight, there are FDA approved medications to help you. Got to stop you both right here. This is a fascinating topic. We could go on for another couple of hours and I'm sure Brian Roy will get back to it with you at some point. Take care of those alligators as you walk through the wilderness and, uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Uh, Brian Roy, nurse practitioner, WellMed with Dr. Phillips in Orlando, Florida. Thank you to Dr. Tamika Perry. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker. And associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.